We've been looking at some of the values of the church over the last couple of months, some of the things we're trying to build around, and uh, our webpage has been part of that process, which hopefully is going to be up in the next couple of months, and I know I've been saying that, but it's really, it's really been a, a major exercise, and uh, we've got a wonderful team helping us with that, but we've been looking and preaching around some of the core things that we want to hold to as a church, and uh, as we move into the future together. And we started by looking at the precious place of the church in God's agenda and what it means to partner with the local church. Uh, We looked at financial partnership. We looked at generosity, a culture of generosity. We looked at a culture of grace and forgiveness and what that looks like. We spent quite a few weeks, three weeks, looking at a culture of honor, how we honor God, how we honor each other, how we honor ourselves and what that looks like. And then I had a look at servant-heartedness as well. How can we give ourselves away in service? And I preached two messages on servant-heartedness, that we can become great as we learn to serve other people and love to, as we also seek the lost. Um, And then over the summer, I asked the guys while I was away, the preaching team, to preach into courage and faith. That's another thing we want to value. We want to value faith, taking a risk, acting on what God has spoken in our lives. And so I want to encourage you that you use the podcast and that you, uh, if you weren't around, that you catch up on these messages and listen to them. And I, I listened this week when I got back to Quervis' message, which he called Abracadabra. Uh, what is spoken, so it shall be, that we learn to declare the Word of God over our lives. And he spoke out of the life of David. I want to encourage you to um, listen to that message. And then Clive spoke about building faith. He used the image of a bodybuilder doing his thing and exercising his muscles and his faith muscles. Uh, and and related that into faith and looked at the life of Gideon. I want to commend that message to you as well. Great message to encourage you in exercising faith in your own life. I love two things about it. The the, the second thing, I can't remember the first thing, but uh, the second thing was go in the strength that you have. I love that. That really spoke to me. That's what we're called to do. Go in the strength that we have. Just do what God has called you to do. We don't have to have great faith. We just have to have faith in a great God. Isn't that right? And then talks. Talks, I was surprised. I thought when you called your, your message, Yo, Yo, Elijah, it was going to be like sort of a rap kind of thing. And it wasn't. It was like, it was like a yo-yo. <laughs> but also, talks preached wonderfully out of the life of Elijah. Four points of how Elijah was a man like us, and it really will encourage you as well. So thank you guys for faithful preaching of God's Word. And I trust that it will be a key as we move forward. So what I'd like to just look at with you today is um, one last value, and that's the value of authenticity. We want to be authentic in terms of our lives and and our our Christian walk, and to live authentically with each other. So I'd just like to look at this morning, well, what does that mean for us, and what does it look like? And I I will be brief and try and be finished in the next half an hour or so. The etymology of the word authentic is quite interesting. Um, if you forgive me, I'm going to use the old French um, word, uh, authentique, which is where we borrow our English word from, or the Latin, authenticus. The, ancient, the, the old Greek is authenticos. And the, the, the principal meaning is something that is genuine. It is the real thing. And so we use it in our language in a comparative way. Uh, so this is authentic. This is the superlative of this is most authentic. Uh, it's something that is genuine, has a, a genuine 
origin. And so people use it, for example, it's an authentic signature. It's the real thing. It's, uh, it's Winston Churchill's authentic signature. Um, this report that you're hearing is authentic. It's the real thing. And as I said, we've just returned from a brilliant holiday. And even in France, it's a, it's a trendy word. So you go to, it's, this is authentic Catalan cuisine in Spain. Or this is an authentic French restaurant. Or these are authentic antiques. Or whatever it is. People are, are keen to point out that this is authentic. It's the real thing. It seems to be everywhere. But I, I don't know if you've noticed that it's not just restricted anymore to using to describe res restaurants or antiques. I, I've noticed that people are using it to describe relationship. Have you noticed that? We want authentic relationship. They use it inside the church and inside or outside of the church as well. We want authentic community. We want authentic worship. We want authentic church. Have you noticed that? It seems like to be a longing of people's hearts. And the longing for what is real is a good thing. I, I'm no longer young and I'm not in the least bit trendy. But I have to say that even in my conversations with people of my age, this word has worked its way into my life. And it makes a regular appearance in conversations that I have with other Christians. There's a longing for what is real and what is authentic. In fact, I had a look. Christianity Today, which is a Christian magazine, even designates authenticity as one of the topics with which it uses to cl classify its articles. If you go online and read Christi Christianity Today, authenticity is one of the topics that they use to describe what they write about. If you go and just do a search on Google, over a hundred books are sold uh, by Christians under the title of Authentic Christianity. A hundred books. Just addressing the subject of, of, of authenticity. And so for me, I want to say, it seems to be one of those slippery notes when you see it kind of buzzwords that um, people are happy to use. But we, we want to say, as a local church community, we desire this community to be an authentic Christian community. What does that look like? Why do we need it? Let me start there and say, well, why do we need an authentic expression of Christianity? Well, the answer quite simply is, first of all, we need an authentic Christian expression in our church because the alternative to authenticity is absolutely too horrible to contemplate. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, the, the alternative to authenticity is hypocrisy, the alternative is pretense. The alternative is wearing a mask and living in an unreal way and pretending that you are someone that you are not. That's, that's the alternative to being authentic. So simply, for us as a local church community, if we are going to live authentically before each other, if we are going to live an authentic Christian life, it means that we learn to take off the masks of our own lives and be real with people. It's an, being authentic is being transparent. It's an admission to yourself of your own failure. It's a rejection of pretense. It's a rejection of hypocrisy. And it's, it's being uh, brutally honest to tell the truth in your life at every level of your life. That's what authenticity is. And so it's, I want to say in that context, it's okay to admit your weakness. 
It's okay to say that you haven't got it all together. It's okay to say that you don't have to live your life with a brave face, pretending to everybody on a Sunday morning or during the week at work, wherever it is, that you are A-OK when actually inside you are not. Surely Robin Williams' life demonstrates that for all of us. And I love Robin Williams, and I think it's a tragedy. I, I was just thinking of... Uh, of uh, always enjoyed drama, and there was a drama group in the, in the building this week um, rehearsing for their production. But if you think of it, this is often a tool that, people, that, are, that is used in drama, isn't it? Where there's a mask that people wear, and you as the audience know that that is a mask, that they're not perhaps who they say they are, and yet the people on the stage, they don't know this dynamic. And so often it's very amusing and very funny to see this displayed before you on the stage, and it's um, a great um, tool in drama. So if Shakespeare, Much Ado About Nothing, or Midsummer Night's Dream uses these kind of things where you know the people on the stage are not who they say they are, and yet the people on the stage don't know that the people are... That's very funny. Or what about the uh, importance of being earnest? Have you ever seen that play? Same thing. People pretending to be someone else. So it can be very funny, but most often it's tragic, and we can't live our lives in an inauthentic way. We need to be real with each other. The alternative is too terrible to even contemplate. Secondly, authenticity, being real, is powerful. <laughs> it's absolutely powerful. If we can get to a place in our lives of telling truthful stories about where we really are and what's really going on, it's an incredibly powerful thing and it's an incredibly liberating thing not only for our own lives but for other people. Um, isn't it wonderful that your wife can know the worst about you and still love you? Yes. All the husbands should say yes. yes. Isn't it true, wives, that our husbands can know the worst things about us as well and they still love us? Yes? This is delightful. This is true authenticity. And this is what enables us to change. It's a very powerful thing. And my longing is this, and I know the longing of everyone in this church that is helping to facilitate this church is this, that this becomes a safe place where people can come and be themselves and be real about who they really are and come with all of their problems and find the power by the Holy Spirit to change. That's the longing of our hearts. That we will have a community of believers that help each other along that journey place where, you, can feel, where you, can, you feel accepted, you can be real, and you are empowered to change. I want to put it to you, that's what grace is. That's what grace looks like. Jesus loved us, accepted us just as we are, and He gives us the power by the Holy Spirit to change and become more and more like Him. This is grace. Uh, one of my heroes is a guy called Dave, Paul Tripp that I've quoted often. He says this, You don't have to fret about your weakness because God's grace is made perfect in your weakness. Be afraid rather of your, de de your delusions of strength. <laughs> Isn't that true? I think it all got it, oh, we got it together. No, we don't really have it together. We all desperately need Jesus. Third, so... The alternative is too horrible to contemplate. Second, it's powerful when we are real with each other. Third, the fruit of authenticity is joy. It's joy. 1 Corinthians 13, that we quote at weddings all the time, love rejoices in the truth. Yes. 
When the truth is known, light comes. Where light comes, energy comes. The most the only power the devil has in our lives is when we try and hide sin and, and wipe it over and pretend it's not there. Then it has power. When it's brought into the open and we, we say to our brothers, help me, I need your help. I'm sinning in this area of my life. There's no power anymore. It is broken. It's out in the open and the Holy Spirit can deal with it and we can move on. And that brings joy. I want to put it to you that the church would be an increasingly joyful place as we learn to share our lives with each other and genuinely, openly, honestly have people walk with us and speak into our lives and help us overcome these things. The fruit of it is joy. When we are real, it unburdens us. It takes the burden off. And then we live free and with a lightness in our steps. So specifically, I just want to point you to uh, six little things, having said those three things as an introduction. What, what can that really look like then for us as a local church? I believe that Christians should be able to be authentic, if I can say it like this, authentically best. <laughs> we should be able to live it out. Why? Well, simply because we have a God and we love a God who is always truthful, who never lies, He never deceives. And he has defeated the father of lies. That's why we should be able to be those that by the Spirit can live like this. And this is my caution though, and I want to put this to you, that if we don't think about it biblically and we don't align ourselves biblically with what it means, we will accept an inferior postmodern version of tell all, tell all, tolerate all, authenticity. And it's not the same thing. So I propose this morning six principles that describe authenticity for a Christian. These are not rules. These are things that we just need to be aware of. The first is this, that genuine Christian authenticity proclaims the reality of the Scripture, the reality of the Bible. And um, some of the things that the guys preached in the, in the last three weeks point to this point that I'm going to say this morning. Remember the story in Numbers 13. Well-known story. God commands Moses, he says, Ten, send 12 spies into the land of Canaan, and they come back 40 days later, and 10 of them come back telling the truth. <laughs> they do tell the truth. They tell it as they see it. They are honest in their, in their feedback to the people. They say, this land is full of giants, and we are going to be squashed like bugs. They are telling the truth from a perspective. They are being honest. That's what they see. And yet there are two of the spies that come back, and this is what they say. Let's go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. And who is commanded as the ones that see from God's perspective? I wonder if those spies came into our church this morning, which group of if we, if we are honest, probably some of us see like the ten spies, and it's very hard, and, and it's, we can't do this, and some of us perhaps see like the two. If, if, if the spies, if, if they came into our church this morning, what group of us would be described as being authentic, of having genuine faith? Those that see like the ten, or those that see like the two? I want to put it to you this morning that being authentic means that we accept God's Word and we define what is real according to what the Word of God says. Amen. 
You might have come this morning. You might have had an imperfect experience of the worship. You might have noticed that our one speaker is not working. That it blew in, our, in the rehearsal. You might have noticed that um, your, maybe your kids were a little bit squirmy. Maybe you, you, you had your kids fighting in the car when you came. And you had an imperfect experience of corporate worship. That might have been the truth for you. Perhaps it was. I want to say this to you. Perhaps you right now thinking, I wish it shut up. I'm thinking about my lunch right now, and I'm looking forward to that roast or going to the restaurant with my friends or whatever. This is what I'm trying to say. Our experience, the Word of God always speaks into our experience, and the Word of God always trumps our experience. Always. What do I mean? Well, you might have had an imperfect experience of worship this morning, not particularly like the songs, whatever, I don't care. This is what the Word of God says. The Word of God says it is good for God's people to get together and worship Him and submit themselves to His Word and to enjoy each other's company. The Word always trumps my subjective experience. Always. If we are going to be authentic and live authentic, let's live authentically according to the Word. Primarily. That it is the compass of our hearts, the alignment of our souls, and we align ourselves around it all the time. Secondly, authenticity doesn't excuse sin. I read a wonderful blog by a lady called Megan Hill. How many of you remember a movie called Eat, Pray, Love? Starring Julia Roberts. I watched that movie. You watched that movie? It's based on a book by a lady called Elizabeth Gilbert, and it was her memoir of her life. And uh, she was seeking an authentic life. She wanted to live honestly. And so if you read the book, the first uh, page bears this little motto, tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. But for her, in her life, telling the truth and living authentically included hedonism, adultery, blasphemy, a whole lot of stuff that she experimented with in her life. And for us, as uh, those that hold to a Christian faith, it's very easy to dismiss that and say, well, that's not the kind of lifestyle that we are looking at and saying we need to live like that as authentic human beings. We can reject that and say, no, we don't want that. But what about the more subtle sin? That's in one sense, that's easy to see. What about the more subtle sin? There's a guy called Talian Chachvillian, who's Billy Graham's grandson. And he, um, I like reading his stuff. He, he, he writes on the Gospel Coalition blog. And he leads a, a church in Florida. And he wrote a blog called this, The Double Reach of Self-Righteousness. The Double Reach of Self-Righteousness. And he cautioned Christians, uh, generations of Christians who say, that's right, I know I don't have it all together, and you think you have it all together, I know I'm not good, and you think you are, that makes me better than you. You see, any kind of pride, any kind of spiritual arrogance <laughs> is not authentic. <laughs> Let's not be those that judge anyone else except our own hearts, all right? Um, that's the, 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 the self-righteousness is a, a terrible thing. Uh, selfishness, the love of men's praise, even a lack of joy. We can, we can experience a lack of joy in our lives and, and still be saying that we're being authentic with people. But these are the things that are telltale signs that we're not living in that ourselves. I want to put it to you this morning. If we want authentic friendship in the church, the place where authentic friendship starts is with you and with me. It starts with me taking off my mask 
It starts with you taking off your mask and you living authentically before God in an open way and not judging anybody else. Not saying, well, I think you have a mask on. <laughs> Authenticity doesn't mean this, that we insist that to be authentic with each other, we need to know each other's sins. And we need to know the sins of other people's children. That's being authentic. That's being real. That's sharing. No, no, that's, that, that, that is just incredibly unkind. That's all it is. It's unkindness. Love covers a multitude of sins. The best way to live authentically is me, myself. I take off my mask and I let you know who I am. And I've endeavored to do that over the last 14 years, to live openly before you and not to try and pretend that I have it all together. And you've seen the struggles that we've had in our family in terms of health. You know some of the struggles we've been through in the past with the church. You know everything. Why? Because that's what it has to be. <laughs> it's not any use that we pretend that we are something that we are not. And all of us have to live like that if we're going to live authentically before Jesus. Take your own mask off. Don't worry about anybody else. <laughs> Let people get to know you as you really are. Amen? Amen. Uh, I can see this is going to be another popular message. Eh? <laughs> anyway, third, authenticity always seeks the good of the body. Authenticity, genuine Christian expression, always seeks the good of the body. Helen and I, when we got back this week, we've been watching a lot of television. You do that when you're on holiday. And we watched this program documenting the role of women in the First World War, which I found quite amazing. I don't know if any of you saw it. Did anyone see this program? I forget what it's called. But because of the First World War, women were liberated into areas of society that they had not had any uh, a toehold in for centuries. So, for example, because of the need of the First World War, women started working in ammunition factories. And uh, they were liberated out of just being uh, ladies that worked in houses to serve in houses. And suddenly they were involved in industry where they'd never been involved before. And they were building ships and they were, they were doing all this stuff. And serving in many areas of society that previously had not been open to them. But the war changed that. Unfortunately, after the war, a lot of stuff went back to normal, as it was, but the seeds of change were sown in the First World War through what happened. And I even found out that there were ladies playing football a hundred years ago to crowds of 20,000. Did you know that? And then the Football Association shut it down after the war and said, no, ladies shouldn't be playing football. It's too ungentle for them. The men just need to play football. Thank you, ladies, for entertaining us for the, the war years, but now it's over. It's genuine. This is true. And for me, it was an, a, a real challenging reminder of those that have paid the price and fought for the rights of women in this nation that in a male-dominated society. And it, it was really a, a, a very good reminder of that. For me, it was an authentic reminder of that. The suffragettes played a vital role in that, and they wanted all women everywhere to have a better and more fulfilled life. And so... Since the 1914-1918 war, women have now served as doctors and uh, nurses and the practice of law in a way that they didn't before the war. And I want to put it to you. <laughs> My third point is this, that authentic Christianity 
is always, likewise, focused on the good of other people. Always. It's the good of those that are suffering from HIV. We live transparently, we live openly, we unburden ourselves by telling the truth about ourselves, not so that we can walk through our lives alone and say, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. No, so that we can take upon ourselves, help to take the burdens of other people and introduce them to the same grace that has liberated us. We are always living for other people. Always. That's authentic Christianity. That's obedient Christianity. An authentic Christian enjoys the fellowship of other believers. 1 John 5 verse 1. An authentic Christian will long to be around other Christians. And it's impossible to be an obedient Christian without being around other Christians. How can we possibly obey Hebrews 10, Hebrews 13 in an honest, even, even just cursory way? if we don't get together with other Christians and worship together. It's impossible to be obedient. And it seems to me that many people want God to go to their house and want the fringe benefits of Christianity without ever applying themselves to what produces the loving community of believers. Four, authenticity honors wisdom. I think if we are going to be authentic in terms of our walk with God, we rightly must value humility. We recognize, all of us, that outside of Christ, we are broken, (laughs) and we daily need His grace. How many of you can say amen to that? I can say amen to that. But sometimes, in our quest to not seem proud, and our quest to seem humble, we we cannot use this God-given ability to shine His wisdom into our lives, into the lives of others. And that is the spirit of the postmodern age. I want to put it to you quite bluntly this morning. This is what the postmodern age culture says. All truth is elusive. Any kind of dogmatism is unforgivable. To say that you have any kind of wisdom is unforgivable. How can anyone know truth about anything? That's the spirit of the age in which we live. And I want to say living a godly life, living an authentic Christian life, is not just the pooling of your experience of, uh, together. And I I want to say often that's the pooling of our ignorance together. I want to say this, I don't want to be unkind, but sometimes life groups for me can be a pooling of mutual ignorance when no one will take responsibility and say, what does the Word of God say? Oh, no, we we just want to be friends. We don't want to offend anybody. (laughs) No. Life groups should be Groups of life, where we're learning about the life of God and we're honest and we're wrestling with the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us and challenging each other, encouraging each other to move forward in what God has for us. Amen? And so I want to say, how how many of you remember our study of James? We have he that is greater than Solomon who says to us, if you lack wisdom, ask and I will give it to you without reproach. I won't take it back. I will give generously to anyone that asks. So I want to encourage you as we move forward into this new year, where you lack wisdom in your life, say, God, please help me, give me wisdom, and apply that wisdom, and don't be shy to apply that wisdom in your life. This is living authentically. Uh, We are honoring God as we speak the wisdom that He's showing us as part of living an authentic life. And uh, I'm nearly finished. Point number five. 
authentic faith, authentic Christianity, authentic living authentically points ahead to a perfect future. That's why I started by saying, guys, this is not as good as it gets. This world is bonkers. It is broken. It is messed up. But I want to tell you, every time I see those things on television and when I'm trying to relax and just see the stars of the sky like we did in France, it's amazing when you get out of the city and there's no light, how incredibly beautiful the sky is at night. Have you ever noticed that? If you're going on holiday, take some time just to look at the sky. It's incredible. But anyway, I digress. What I wanted to say is this. Every time I switch on the news and I see that stuff, I thank God. I say God, and I'm not in an unreal way. I thank God. I say, God, I thank you that is this is not my home. I thank you that this life is not where it ends for me. I thank you that I'm going to a perfect future to be with you where there's no pain, no suffering. All this stuff is dealt with and I get to worship you for eternity. I thank you daily for the future that is perfect that you're moving me towards. That's what it is. That is more real to me than what is here. C.S. Lewis, great, great writer, said this in his classic book, The Great Divorce. In it, he describes travelers from hell. They step off a bus onto heaven's grass, and he says this, it's so razor sharp, the grass is so razor sharp that it cuts their feet, and he says this, the men were as they had always been. It was the light, it was the grass, the trees that were different, made of some different substance, so much solider than anything in our country, the men were ghosts by comparison. What is he trying to say? For those of us that are in Christ, our true self is in Christ. All of this is a pilgrimage. All of this is a journey that we are moving towards. And what is to come is far more real, far more vibrant, far more wonderful than we could ever hope or dream or imagine. And I'm not kind of selling some kind of Karl Marx thing that people believe in Christianity because it's all pie in the sky when you die and we're just trying to alleviate. So I'm not saying that at all. We are on a pilgrimage. These are, isn't, it, isn't it? I mean, I've been fascinated in the last 10 years. How many people now speak about life as a journey? Have you noticed there's another postmodern kind of uh, uh, thing? Uh, we're all on a journey. And we, we're all on a journey together, and it's all conversation, and it's all this. There's no, there's no real truth anymore. We're all just wafting our way through this life, doing the best that we can, learning from each other. It's all a journey. It's all a journey. And there's truth in that. It is a journey. It is a pilgrimage. But here's the greater reality. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, We are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But the truth is a greater reality awaits you and I, that is more real than what we experience right now. And I want to encourage you with that. That is the truth of the gospel. <laughs> I'm actually quite happy this morning. I trust uh, you are uh, seeing that. And then lastly, and I finish with this. What is authentic flows from the inside out. And I want to use this carefully. It flows from the top down. What do I mean by that? Well, 1 Thessalonians 1. This is what Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And then he says this, You know what kind of men we proved to be amongst you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the, God in you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. 
my point is simply this. I want to zero in on that little verse. You know what kind of men we proved to be amongst you for your sake. Paul is saying, I lived an authentic life amongst you from the inside out. And he's probably the greatest preacher of the word outside of Jesus. He's certainly one of the greatest theologians outside of Jesus that ever faced, lived on the face of the planet. And he says to you, what I did more than anything else is I tried to live in a real way amongst you so that you could see who I was. And so it flows from the inside out for all of us. And I want to encourage you, it's crucial for all of us to be open and real about what's going on in our lives, especially those that are facilitating ministry, like me, like those that lead worship, like those that lead life groups, whatever our area is of ministry, that we are open with people about who we really are. And I want to encourage you to endeavor to live like that, whatever your area of influence, whatever your ministry influence. There must be a value that flows from the inside out, and in that sense it flows from the top down. If Paul could say it about his own life, how much more do we need to say it about our own lives? Jesus said about his, his, about his own life as well, I've done nothing except that the Father has told me. Demonstrates the same thing. And I want to put it to you that the great lie, finish with this, the great lie is that if I am honest with people, they will not love me. That's the great lie. If people see who I really am, they won't love me. I want to tell you why it's a great lie. Because if people do not see who you really are, they are loving what you are not. They are loving a mask. They are not loving you as you really are. And so my encouragement is, can we move towards, by the power of the Spirit, a community that increasingly loves and embraces authentic living in every way. I'm not putting a, put, pointing a finger to anyone. And what I'm saying is it starts with you and I for our own lives, taking off the mask progressively for us that people really see who we are and not pointing fingers at anybody else. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that your kindness has sought us out and you've loved us just as we are. And so, Lord, we want to raise our hands this morning and just say, Holy Spirit, won't you come and help us? Uh, Lord, we, we want to be those that live in an honest and open way with you and with each other. It's not always easy, Lord, because much pushes in on us and, and encourages us not to do that. But, Lord, I pray as we move into this new school year, that we would be those that live openly and honestly before each other in an increasing measure. Whatever measure we are living at it now, Father, we ask that you would deepen that measure for us. We ask that you would deepen that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And once again, Lord, we, we cry to you and ask, Lord, for the, the, the guys that are going to Soul Survivor that are going to leave shortly. We pray for your power to be upon them. We pray, Lord, that you'd radically transform them and impact their lives with joy and with peace and with liberty and with freedom and with dreams of their future that you have for them. And we want to thank you, Lord, for faithful ministers of the gospel that year after year after year keep on doing what you've called them to do and see many people transformed by the power of your Spirit. And so I want to pray your blessing on Mike and Andy and the whole team that has faithfully served young people for 25 years, doing it year after year after year. Lord, bless them, encourage them, refresh them, give them more than they hope or dream or, or, or long for, and supply their every need according to your riches in glory. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Becca, what you did 
through their lives, in, in their lives, in uh, Howick in this last uh, five weeks. And we, we bless you for what you're going to do with us as a local church this new school year. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness and your favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.